Okay, we're going to change gears because I would really enjoy sharing from the Word of God with you. And so um, we're going to go on to uh, just a short message about the amazing power of little things. The amazing power of little things. By the way, I don't want to disillusion you, so I'm warning you in advance. If a missionary says this will be a short message, it means nothing. Um, but we'll just, you know, I'll, I'm going to do my best here. Um, when we were living in Africa, um, there's some interesting things we saw. And uh, every year I go to Kenya and go to Kakuma Refugee Camp. And, uh, and along the way, there's really interesting scenery. But one of the things that we see are termite mounds. Have any of you ever seen a termite mound? Raise your hand if you've seen one. Okay. And so this is me three months ago beside a termite mound. And uh, every time I go, like each year, I try to find a taller one to get a picture with. Um, I'm six foot one. So what do you think? How tall do you think that termite mound is? I, I'm guessing over 20 feet tall because it's about three, over three times taller than I am. So um, here's the interesting thing. Who made that termite mound? Well, termites that are what? A quarter of an inch long, something like that. These tiny, tiny, tiny things make this mountain to the sky. And the point is, is that little things, when they're added to do, together, can do big things. Um, another experience uh, that some of our other missionaries had, but we were very aware of, this was in the Congo. Some of our Elam missionaries, they lived out in a little village in uh, the middle of the country, a village called Loja. Now, in those villages, there's times when safari ants come through. And the safari ants, when they come through, they come through 50 million at a time. It's about an inch, or I'm sorry, about a foot wide as they're traveling. And uh, listen, there's just not enough cans of Raid in all the world to stop these guys coming through. So what they do is they clear the village out for two days and just let them go through and eat what they're going to eat. And then they, they take all they can with them to save it. But that's what happened. So we had some Elam missionaries there. And they heard the ants were coming. They didn't know all the details, but they knew from the villagers, get out of here. So they left for two days. They came back two days later. And their pet rabbits that were in a cage were no longer there. There was nothing, not even bones. It was just totally, completely gone because anything that was there that was edible, these little safari ants take care of. And the point, again, is little things add up to something very, very significant and have a lot of power. And so I want to talk about how that's true in our lives. Now, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 25, verses 21, uh, 20 and 21, talks about this kind of thing. There's a, a parable he tells of a master who goes away, and he leaves uh, talents or money with three different people. He leaves Five talents with one, two with one, and one with another. And here's what we read. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And in the story, we find out two of them were faithful, and this is what he says to them. And the point is, is that God is very, very concerned with little things in our lives because little things tell a lot about who we are as a person and it's the little things that we do that add up to who we become in our lives and as a person. Now, about uh, two years ago, I was going through a time of being a bit burned out, and so I went to a men's retreat. 
And one of the cool things at the men's retreat is that they have your wife um, get hold of a bunch of your friends, and they write a note or a letter about how wonderful you are so that you'll be encouraged. You know, it's the kind of thing that normally you get at your funeral, but at your funeral, for some reason, you don't appreciate it the way that you could. Um, so it's, it's a lot nicer to get it in advance, like in this particular case. So I had about 20 letters from, uh, from different people, and, and some were short, some were longer, generally quite encouraging. But honestly, the one that was best was from our daughter, Sarah. Now, Sarah is very, very good at speaking and writing. And so she did not write me a note. She did not write me a letter. She wrote an epistle. And it was 14 pages of what she appreciated about me as a dad. I mean, talk about awesome. But um, I want to read the, just a, the very first part of it to you, because as I was reading this, I was just crying, and it, it meant a lot. But it has to do with little things. Hey, Dad, over the last few months, I've been thinking a lot about what kind of parent I want to be and what kind of parent is best for my son, Luke, and my daughter, Joy. I've been thinking especially about how to make fun, lasting memories with Luke and Joy that they'll remember well. And as I thought about all this, I found a very simple, easy answer. I want to be like you. This is the time for me to cry. And, and, and I did cry. I mean, it was, come on, you know, wow. So I want to be the, here, we'll go on to this. I want to be the kind of parent you were to us kids while we were growing up in terms of all the fun things that you did with us, all the time you made to spend with us and the unique fun adventures you took us on and how creative you were in coming up with fun, unique things to do. Now, I'm going to read one last paragraph here, but you need some background on it. This comes from when we were in Africa. Now, in Africa, raising your kids, there is no TV. There is no video. There is no stores with fun toys. There, whatever you think there is, there isn't in, in there. So whatever we did, we came up with ourselves, if you understand what I'm saying. So in, in light of that, this is what she says. Um, for example, I'm amazed that you thought of such a fun unique contest of seeing who could collect the most toads in a bucket while it was raining. <laughs> this was hilarious and so much fun. Okay, how many of you have ever went toad collecting when it was raining? I want, that, there's a few people. Okay, good, good, all right. All right, now let's see how good you are. How many do you think the most toads one person caught in a bucket when during, during these contests. Can you give me some guesses? 37, 40, 100? Okay, the most that we got, anyone got, was 50 toads in one bucket. And in that particular day, someone else got 37 and someone else got like 25. So it was over 100 toads that we had in our three buckets. And that was our fun contest that my daughter is writing about. How many of you would you like to join us with that? Raise your hand. <laughs> very, a very mixed reaction on that one. Um, but the thing that was so cool is that as I kept reading this letter, it was all made up of small things and little things and things that often I didn't even remember them, but she remembers them very well, and so does her brother. And, uh, and I realized that so much of the best of our lives is made up of the little things of our lives that we choose to do and how important those things are. So I want to talk about the power of little things. And the first things I want, thing I want to say is little decisions make a big difference. Little decisions make a big difference. 
Now, in uh, 2 Samuel 11, 1 and 2, there's a story that many people are familiar with. But interestingly, most of us don't know the beginning of the story. So the story is David and Bathsheba. Who knows the story of David and Bathsheba? Um, a lot of people do. Uh, very simply, you've got King David. He is on his palace roof. He's looking down. There's a woman on a house roof bathing. She's naked. He's interested. He has the guards go get her. She's married. He doesn't care. They commit adultery. And it kind of goes downhill from there. That's what the story is about. <clears throat> but interestingly, most people don't realize that there's something behind the story that has to do with little things, very, insigni very significant little things. So listen to this as I read the story to you from 2 Samuel 11, 1 to 2. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, okay, as, I want to know something. What do kings do in the spring according to the Bible? They go off to war. And in fact, we know from the story that David was anointed by the prophet Samuel to lead the people of God against their enemies when their enemies were trying to destroy them. And there was a lot of people who wanted to destroy the nation of Israel. They had a lot of enemies. So now it's springtime. And in the spring, when kings go off to war, what did David do? <clears throat> David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. So first of all, David was not doing what David was anointed and supposed to do as king. That's the first thing. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now here's a good thing. I'm sure that he remained in Jerusalem to do all kinds of good kingly things, right? Okay, let's see what he was actually doing. <clears throat> One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. Now, here's my question. Is this evening afternoon, or is this evening light, uh, nighttime? Which evening are we talking about? Well, in a few sentences later, he's looking down and seeing a woman bathing naked, and, and uh, I don't think you can do that at night. Um, I have never been able to see somebody in the, the nighttime on another roof, unless they have nightlights, which they did not have in that place. So we're not talking about... At night, David got up off of his bed and went up into the, uh, to enjoy the, the, the uh, breeze and so on. Uh, we're talking about daytime. So uh, here's the thing David is doing. David is like major giving into his flesh. I mean, he's lazy and doesn't go off to war. And so it puts him at the wrong place at the wrong time where he was never meant to be. And now instead of doing the other work he could do as a king that's good work, He's just relaxing on his bed in the afternoon, and finally he gets up and he goes up onto the palace roof and so on. Now, <clears throat> to put this in a little bit of fun perspective, my first sermon in Tanzania, in Swahili, was on this passage. And in Swahili, there's two words. You can say this is for the team now. The first word is upepo. Say that, upepo. Upepo. The other word is ma-pepo. Ma-pepo. Okay. Upepo is breeze. Ma-pepo is demons. Breeze, demons. You see how close they are as words? So it really wasn't my fault, okay? So, in the, and when I preached it, I preached David went up onto the palace roof to enjoy the evening demons, and he looked down and saw Bathsheba. So that, that is my rendition of this story in Swahili. Um, you might want to get the words right if you talk about this. So my assistant pastor got up, and he said, Pastor Cliff has used the wrong word, 
but his overall meaning is spot on. So anyway, that's, that's where I went with that one. But um, <clears throat> uh, if you ever have time and you're bored, I will tell you all of my embarrassing language mistakes because I have a lot of them. But anyway, that's, by the way, that is what my gift in learning languages is that I am not afraid to make an idiot out of myself and be very embarrassed. And I actually find the church usually laughs pretty good, sometimes with me, sometimes at me. Doesn't matter. Okay, how many of you have ever heard of a watershed? You know what a watershed is? Um, it's, a, it's an area of land that drains or sheds water into a specific water body. So, for example, in Montana, um, northern Montana, there is a very interesting mountain range. It's called the Triple Divide Peak. And it's a watershed. <clears throat> but here's what's interesting. You can have a drop of rain that falls here, and then one that falls just an inch apart from it here. But because there's different tributaries and rivers that come out of that mountain, that one drop can end up in the Pacific Ocean, and the other drop can end up in the Atlantic Ocean, uh, minimally 2,300 miles apart. And what I've found in life is that we have to make lots of decisions. And often they seem like very little decisions, and often they are pretty little decisions. But I've also found that little decisions add up. And I've also found that there's some little decisions that are a lot more significant than we're giving them credit for. Because sometimes when you make a decision, it's not that easy to unmake it and go a different road. And it's a little bit like super glue. How many of you have ever used super glue? And how many of you have ever, instead of gluing what you wanted to, first you have glued you? You know, yeah, we've all done that, haven't we? And, and the problem with super glue is it dries so quickly. And now here we are. And now, of course, we're, what do we do? How do we undo it? And we have different ways, but it hurts. Um, and here's the point. There's a lot of decisions that are important because once you make them, you're in a path that's hard to leave. And it takes you a certain place. And so it's important that we pay a lot of attention. And I don't know what your life is like, but I found that there's times where I'm kind of on a razor edge of decision. And I really easily could go this way or I could go that way. Sometimes this way is immoral and this way is moral. Sometimes this way is best and this way is good. Sometimes this way is lazy and this way is going to the gym. <laughs> you know, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's all these little decisions, but they add up. And we become who we are one little decision at a time. Um, it, it can be about uh, doing something for the first time in curiosity. It could be extra sleep. It could be, could be eating something. It could be the gym. It could be right versus wrong, easier versus harder, good versus best. But they add up over time, and they're significant. But one of the things I've found is that if we win the little skirmishes by making the right decision, we often are able to avoid the battles. And that's one of the things that's so important about them. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, was Jesus trying to make it harder for us by saying this, no, he was giving us a principle to understand that the, the action of adultery can be avoided if we guard our heart, and we guard our heart by, by guarding our eyes. 
And in uh, Job 31.1, he talks about this. He says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Now, I remember when I was, Beth and I were married for about a year. I was at college in Michigan Spring Arbor, Spring Arbor Christian University, and our philosophy teacher decided to take us water skiing. You know, that's what you do in philosophy class, you know, at least that day. So we go water skiing. And, and we get to the, the place, and there's a bunch of guys, we're just a bunch of guys, and, and all of a sudden, as we're getting ready to do the skiing, there's these three girls on the beach who come walking over, and they're, they're basically wearing micro bikinis. So now I've got a problem. The problem is called, I don't want to be lusting with my eyes. I've made a covenant with my eyes. But the problem is, is that there's some real significant eye flesh coming this way. But fortunately, I have a superpower for resisting this kind of temptation. Do you know what it is? I take off my glasses. <laughs> because I'm just about blind without my glasses on. And, and it's like, you know, Jesus played, prayed for the blind man the first time. What do you see? I see men walking like trees. That's me right now. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know who any of you are now. Forget it. So you, you can't lust after what you can't see. Sorry. So, but you know what? All of us have superpowers like that if we think about it. There's all, all of us have ways that we can step back. Ways that we can, instead of going forward, where we're in a very difficult place in time of temptation and battle, where we can step back. There's so many different ways to step back and to win the little skirmishes so that we don't have to be in the huge and the big battle. And so that's something that we have to be aware of and think about. Um, the other thing is, is that it's, just not, it's not just a morality issue. It's a whole issue. It's like, here's a proverb that I really like. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap character. Sow character and you will reap your destiny. And uh, Proverbs 6, 10, and 11 talks about it. It talks about, what it's talking about here is sleep, but it's a lot bigger picture. It's about little things adding up. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come to you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man, Proverbs 6, 10, and 11. And the point here isn't just sleeping. It's all the little decisions we make that add up to be something significant in our lives because the truth of the matter is, is that everybody here, you didn't become who you are by a lot of big decisions. You became who you are by a lot of little decisions over time. Okay, the second thing is uh, that I'm going to talk about is little actions add up. And I want to tell you a story that has meant a lot to me. It's called the uh, daffodil principle. Several times, my daughter had telephoned to say, hey, mom, we need to go see the daffodils before they're done. I wanted to go, but it was a two-hour drive, and I, did, I didn't promise anything, but she kept bugging me, so finally I decided to go. Well, the day that I went, it was cold and rainy, and when I got to Carolyn's house, I hugged and greeted her and then our grandchildren. And then I said, Carolyn, forget the stupid daffodils. It's foggy out. It's cold. I don't want anything to do with it. I just want to see my grandkids. My daughter smiled and said, oh, Mom, we drive in this all the time. Well, you are not going to get me out there again until I go home and it's gone. Oh, come on, Mom. I was hoping you could take me over to the garage to pick up my car, uh, Carolyn said with a sad look. And so I said, well, how far? And she said, oh, it's just a few blocks. I'll drive. I'm used to it. Well, after several minutes of driving, I said to Carolyn, Carolyn, 
this isn't the way to the garage. And she says, yeah, it is, Mom, by way of the daffodils. <laughs> After about 20 minutes, we turned into a small gravel road, and I saw a small church. And we got out of the car. We each took one of the children's hands, and I followed Carolyn down the path. As we turned a corner of the path, I looked up, and I gasped. Before me lay the most glorious sight. It looked as though someone had taken a great vat of gold and poured it down over the mountain peak and slopes. The flowers were planted in majestic swirling patterns, great ribbons and swaths of deep orange, lemon yellow, salmon pink, saffron, and butter yellow. Each different color variety was planted as a group so that it swirled and flowed like its own river with its own unique hue. Five acres of the most beautiful flowers I had ever seen. Who planted all these, I asked Carolyn. She said, it's just one woman. She lives over in that house right there. We walked up to the house, and there was a sign, and this is what it said. Answers to the questions I know you're asking. Number one, 50,000 bulbs, one at a time. Number two, by one woman with two hands, two feet, and a very little brain. And then number three began 40 years ago. The daffodil principle. For me, that moment was life-changing. I thought of this woman who had never met, who more than 40 years before had begun one bulb at a time to bring her vision of beauty and joy to an obscure mountaintop. Still, this unknown old woman had forever changed the world in which she lived. She had created something of magnificent beauty and inspiration. The principle that I learned is this learning to move towards our goals and desires one little step at a time, learning to love the doing, learning to use the accumulation of time. When we multiply tiny pieces of time with small increments of daily effort, we can accomplish magnificent things. We can change the world. Isn't that an awesome story? And, and I just have a few more minutes left, but as I'm finishing up, I want you to think about this. What is one or two things that you could do in your own life that would be a little thing, um, but every day, and that you just keep doing and let it add up the accumulation of time and just making that thing happen over time like this woman did in this particular case. Um, what goals, what aims, what desires could you pursue over time for God, for you, for your family? Um, I hate learning languages, but as a missionary, I've had to learn five. And I'm not very good at it. As I said, my power in that is I don't embarrass easily. Um, but I found that with language learning, one of the things that really helped me a huge amount was I'd read the Bible in English, Spanish, for example, for 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes at night. And it was amazing the improvement I had by just that discipline um, in, in that in different times, other languages, and so on. In Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Jesus talks about this. And I'm going to give you the brick cliff version of this because it represents the Greek better. Um, ask and keep asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep seeking, and you will find. And knock and keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks and keep asking receives. And he who seeks and keeps seeking finds. And to him who knocks and keeps knocking, the door will be open. And what that really means is very simple. The things that we continue to pursue, we usually get. Okay, it's just a matter of continuing and not giving up easily or after a little bit of time. So the very last point is this, little seeds are powerful. And if you look in Galatians 6, 7 to 9, it talks about this. 
Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, here's the part I want you to hear that's really important. Let us not become weary in doing good. In other words, good seeds. Let's not give up on doing the good seeds. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. There's a promise in the word of God that when you keep doing the thing, there's always going to be a harvest. God says, I promise you, you will get a harvest. So don't give up because it's easy to give up. Um, how many of you have ever heard of the rule of 100? Raise your hands if you've ever heard of it. Okay. It's fairly new. Not many people have right now, but it's really significant. The rule of 100 states that if you spend 100 hours in a year, which is 18 minutes a day, any of us in any discipline, whether it's karate or violin or piano or painting or whatever, if you spend 18 minutes a day, which is 100 hours a year, you'll be better than 95% of the world in that discipline. It's just the consistency. It's just the consistency. And uh, I remember when my brother and I were uh, in high school, um, there's one summer we just felt like we'd learned to play chess, and just every day we played for a couple hours, and that was just the summer, and we were just having fun with it. The next, uh, that year in the fall, we joined the high school um, chess team. You know that that year that we were state champions, and it was based on a couple hours of just playing each day for fun during the summer. It was consistency. Because I want to tell you a secret, I'm not brilliant, okay? Um, it was just consistency and state champions, pretty cool. Um, now, one of the things that I've been told is that I'm a workaholic, and so I've been told get a hobby, and I never could find a hobby that I wanted. Till recently, I found one that I kind of like, and it is painting. So I have been watching painting videos on YouTube. Those are my instructors. And so um, I want you to know that uh, that was about three months ago. As of today, I have painted five absolute masterpieces. Um, <laughs> In my mind, in my mind, they, they have not made it to the canvas yet, but you just can't believe how good these things are going to look. But there, there's one that made it to canvas, and there it is right there. That made it to the canvas. That is, that is my very, very first painting ever in my life. Right, there it is, right there. And it's not bad. I mean, come on. So, by the way, we'll be auctioning it off after church. Um, the opening bid will be $10,000. <laughs> but, it, but it's amazing what you can do with increments of time faithfully put into something. Um, Ecclesiastes 11, 1 to 6 says, Sow your seed in the morning, and in the evening don't let your hands be idle, because you don't know what will succeed, whether this or that or both will be do, do equally well. In other words, you just keep sowing, and especially pray and keep sowing. So I have just one story to finish, and then I'll be done. And this is a good story. You'll like this story. This is a story that if you leave during the story, you will regret it the rest of your life, just so you know. <laughs> so when I was uh, five years old, my parents attended a church called Wings of Prayer. It was in Flint, Michigan. And uh, there was a man who went there. His name was Wes Smith. Um, later on, he was a guy who did something called Bibles to China. But um, at that time, he worked with gangs. And uh, so on a Wednesday night, my parents were at the church. There was about 30 or 40 people, something like that. And in the middle of the preaching, there's a guy named Pastor uh, Valio Perez who was uh, preaching. 
In the middle of that, a guy came in in the back of the church who was on drugs, and he was very, very high on drugs. And uh, he came to the front of the church, and he took out a, a, a switchblade, and he started going after the preacher with the switchblade. Now, back in those days, we had serious Bibles. You know, they were about two inches, three inches thick, about this, you know. So they were a weapon. And so the pastor held up his Bible, and the guy's slashing the Bible, trying to get at the pastor. Well, my, my dad sees this, and my dad gets up, and he goes and stands between the gang member and the pastor to try to protect the pastor. Whereupon, this uh, gang member takes a, a switchblade and puts it to my dad's throat and says, you either move or you die. And uh, as soon as he says that, you know what happens? The switchblade, miraculously on its own, closes just like that. And so this guy opens it again, puts it to my dad's throat again, and it immediately closes again. And this guy just is freaked out, and he turns and he runs out of the church. Now, that wasn't the end of the story. There's a cool ending. This guy, Wes, he was a real man of faith, and he said, I am not leaving this church. I am going to stay here praying and fasting till that young man returns and gives his life to Jesus Christ. Will anyone stay with me? And uh, my, dad, uh, my dad stayed with him. And so the service finished. It was 9 o'clock. They left the doors open, um, the lights on, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. They're there at the altar praying. Uh, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, they're there at the altar praying. Now, here's a question. Why in the world would somebody come back in the middle of the night to a church that they would know would be closed anyway? I mean, it'd be a really weird and stupid thing to do. 1.30 or so, this guy is back at his apartment, and he is agitated, and he absolutely can't get to sleep, and then he has an irresistible urge that he keeps fighting to go back to the church. And you know what happened at 2 o'clock? At 2 o'clock, that young man came into the church and down to the front and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, now, here's the incredible thing. The thing with the cross or the switchblade, it lasted all of five minutes. And this other thing lasted a couple hours, and I wasn't even there. But this became part of our family history. And this made an incredible impression on who I am as a person for and, and how I do things as a missionary. Um, for example, I learned that cliff men, that's cliff, we're cliff, uh, cliff men are brave. I also learned that cliff men are stupid. And uh, that's worked really, really good as a missionary when I go into countries in civil war. Nobody else goes there, and the U.S. government says, do not go into this country. But I go there because I know, number one, that's often where the biggest need is. But number two, I know that I have a God who miraculously closes switchblades yeah, and, and protects. The other thing I, I learned is that um, I have a God who, when there is a tremendous need and issue, you can fast and pray, and miracles happen that are very significant miracles. And so those things happened in a very short period of time, and they're very little things in a way, and yet they have influenced for a lifetime who I am as a person and what I'm able to accomplish in ministry. And so here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to ask you if you would stand. And I just want to pray for you. And then I'm going to turn it back over to the pastor. But as I'm praying, um, I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you one or two things he wants you to do that are little things, but to do consistently over time. 
or maybe one or two decisions that you've been thinking about, um, ask him to show you what the right decision is and to help you make and keep that right decision. So Father, I just thank you for everyone who's here today. And Lord, I just lift them up to you right now. And I just look to you and pray that first of all, you'd speak to them by your Holy Spirit very, very clearly about one or two little things that they can do over a period of time that will be wonderful for their lives, for their family, uh, for your, your kingdom. And Father, I also pray that um, for decisions, that anyone who uh, needs to make the right little decisions right now, that you would both show them the, the decisions and then have them set their will to that right decision. And then at the same time, Lord, that you would fill them with your spirit and empower them to keep that decision and to follow through on it. And Father, I just pray for everyone here that you just fill them afresh and anew with your spirit, that they'd hear the voice of your spirit very clearly, and that they would be able to respond to it in all kinds of little ways that build their lives over many years in powerful and wonderful ways. I pray all these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So, Pastor Jody. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. That is so, so good. Um, as Brick was uh, sharing, uh, Mother Teresa came to my mind. Mother Teresa has always been one of my favorite people. And her saying was, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And I've always had that in the back of my mind. And I like that because there's humility in that. It's just the little things, you know. And Mother Teresa's legacy is living on in India, and she's been gone I don't know how many years. So it is the, the small things with great love. Um, so that was an awesome word. Thank you so much. And I believe that was for us to encourage you. If you're like, well, I haven't done any great thing for God. Uh, Jesus is the only one who's done something really great. So the rest of us, we just have all the little things to do with great love. So may you go out of here, and may you do what uh, Brick prayed, and do a couple little things that God leads you to, but do them with great love, okay? And um, we would really love to have you next door so you can rub shoulders with him some more, maybe talk to him, uh, hang out with us today if you're available. We would love to have you there, all right? So uh, blessings to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The prayer people are up here. I'm sure there are people who have prayer needs. Um, and even if it's something small, come on up here. Have somebody pray for you.